Paul prayed that the eyes of the believers in Ephesus would be opened so that they would understand three things. Number one, they would understand the greatness of his or God's calling of you. The second thing was that you would understand your inheritance as a son of God. And the third thing was you would understand the greatness of God's power at work in you as a believer. Now, when Paul gets to the final chapter of the book of Ephesians and he's wrapping it all up, he refers again to the power of God. Throughout the book, he's talking about all three things that he wishes that they would, they would get. They would understand the hope to which God called them, that they would understand their inheritance, God's glorious inheritance in his saints. And when he finally wraps up the book, he says that he wants them to understand to clothe themselves with the power of God. And he had previously described the power of God. And in a previous set of messages, we talked about uh, the, the nature of God's power and authority and it's how we are his delegates and how he operates in and through us and how we operate in him and so on and so forth. But today I wanted, at this time I wanted to focus on this portion of uh, the, the message where he's, he's summarizing at the end of Ephesians, at the end of the letter, and he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power as I said, having described his mighty power in much detail before. And then he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. As I've said before, our understanding of biblical things is in serious need of upgrading, of being upgraded. We still have a Sunday school understanding of the armor of God. You know, where you have cardboard cutouts and little kids dressing up in like a Roman soldier, and we talk about uh, the different parts of the armor. Uh, And generally, I mean, I've heard preachers say, as long back as I can remember, that the only part of the armor that is offensive, that is for going on the offensive, is the sword. That's because they're taking the the whole teaching on the armor of God out of its context. Everything about the armor of God is how you overthrow the devil's schemes. 
the war with Satan, you see, and, and our war is not against flesh and blood. So it ought not to be thought of in the fashion in which we would engage flesh and blood. If you do, I promise you, you've already lost. What are the devil's schemes? How does he conduct war against us? And how is the power of God effective against the enemy? All of the references to the Roman soldier's military garb is really to talk to us about being at war. Not so much that uh, the, the enemy that we would encounter would come at us in a way that these pieces of the armor would defend a Roman soldier uh, in battle. It's not that at all. This is a very asymmetrical warfare. It's not against flesh and blood. And his approaches were not like any that a Roman soldier might have encountered on the field of battle. The enemy comes at us with schemes. Schemes. Um, Before I get into that, let me give you a quick example of why this is the armor of God should not be considered in the same fashion in which a Roman soldier's armor worked against, say, the Goths or the Visigoths or various other tribes of the barbarians. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What's that? As an example, how does that work against a scheme of the devil? Well, first you must understand what the scheme of the devil is, that that overcomes. The scheme, every aspect of the armor of God is about overcoming. It's about overcoming. It's not about defending your position. It's about overcoming the attack of the enemy in that place. Your feet are the first place that your body touches the earth. And your heel is that point at which if you're walking, your your heel touches the ground first. The serpent, as it were, lies in the grass waiting to bite you at the heel, which is your first contact in his realm. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's how he puts it. So you're prepared to walk in the gospel of peace. Shod. Your feet are, in a sense, clothed with a shoe that is designed to not just protect you from a snake bite, from the bite of the enemy, but actually to crush his head to crush his head. Immediately you see, this is an offensive weapon. This is a way to dismantle the schemes of the devil. We're not yet talking about the schemes of the devil. That's really what I want to talk about today. But I'm showing you how dreadfully in need of updating our understanding is of putting being clothed in the mighty power of God. 
we need to upgrade from the Sunday school version of this. This is not a little kid's drill. This is not something that you, you take a kid to Sunday school so he can be amused by being dressed up in a cardboard cutout. This is for real. This is war for adults. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What is the gospel of peace? The word peace, the word peace is a military term. It's not the 1960s peace man. It's, it, it is derived from the term pacification, which is to degrade your enemy's ability to wage effective war against you. When you pacify a country in war, you've effectively degraded the ability of that country's military to rise up and be a potential threat to you. In which case, if their armed forces cannot threaten you, then you may rule the country. You may impose, you may impose your rule upon the country. In the Hebrew term for peace, shalom, there are four words, shin, lamed, wa, and mem. The character shin means, and of course Hebrew is hieroglyphics, picture words, and, and, and it's in the form of two front teeth, the word shin, which describes the act of eating or devouring or destroying. Shin, lamed, wa, and mem. Shin means to destroy. Lamed is authority. Wa is to establish. That's like a tent peg that you can secure the tent with. And mem is, is pictured like the waves of the sea or the surface of the water, like a storm-like occurrence. And that means disorder. So together, shin, lamed, wa, and mem, to destroy the authority that establishes disorder. That's the term pacification. Jesus is the prince of peace, not because he walks around with a halo and, and two, two fingers up. And that everybody can quote or refer to whenever they want to have a quote-unquote peace initiative, where, where, where it's about how nobody uh, does anything that is offensive to anyone. It is about destroying the authority that establishes disorder. It means to destroy the works of the devil. It's about the destruction of the works of the devil. The Son of God was revealed for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil. That's pacification. That's how you reduce to ineffectiveness the ability of the enemy to resist you. The Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. Now, 
your feet shod with the preparation of this gospel, the gospel of peace, means that you are equipped to destroy in your domain every scheme of the devil. It means you understand your positioning in the power of Christ and the ability of the power of Christ working in you and working through you to eradicate from your sphere of influence that which represents the incursions of a scheme of Satan by which to take you captive. That's an example of one of the, and it's a very, very nominal reference, very nominal prosecution of this matter. I don't mean by any means to suggest this is an in-depth look at what it means to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm using this to show you two things. Number one, we radically need to upgrade our understanding of what the armor of God means. It's suiting up for warfare to be conducted on the plane of adults, not children. Number two, that you do have and you have been equipped to dismantle every scheme of your enemy, to understand and to dismantle every scheme of your enemy that enters within your domain of rule, beginning with the internal domain of rule, which is your soul. So I want to spend the rest of this broadcast, and perhaps the next one, talking to you about how the enemy actually gains access to your domain. What is his scheme for doing so? Now, the human being is constructed by God to be able to connect to the voice of God, to connect to the heavens. And that which in us connects to God is our spirit. That's why when we're born again, we're born again of His spirit. But we were created the essential nature of the human being is that we have been, we were created by God by an endowment of spirit out of his person. God imparted into human clay an endowment of his spirit, which has the ability to relate to God as God is. So by our spirits, we can connect to the mind of God. That connection ultimately is reestablished for us because it was severed by Adam, but it was reestablished for us in Christ who sent us the Holy Spirit to testify between our spirits and the mind of God that we are now aware that we have been reconnected to God, having been born of Him, born of the Spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Therefore, we are the sons of God, which means we have an ability to hear God. That reconnection to God gives us access to the mind of God and it represents the potential for us 
A, to understand the schemes of the enemy, and B, to rule over them, to crush his head. Now, that's not the only component to us, and that's why the enemy has devised a scheme to entrap us. And he can entrap us in that portion of us that touches the earth, the domain of earth. In other words, that portion of us that was designed to function in the earth. So God gave us a spirit to connect us to God, and he gave us a soul to rule from the point of view of God in our domains. This is primarily an issue of the endowment of authority. God has plenary authority, and we talked about this in one of the broadcasts earlier. And we are the plenipotentiary. We are the potential of access to the power of God. We humans who have been the delegates of God, having been made so by the Holy Spirit, we have the potential of bringing into our domains, into the spheres of our rule, whether that's internal rule, family rule, the rule beyond that in the workplace, the rule in society, etc., etc., in our circle of friends and acquaintances and the like. And again, I remind you that rule here is not a reference to arbitrary subjugation of others. Rule is that we are the standard and measure of God's character. Like, like when we were kids a long time ago when we had 12-inch sticks in our book bags, uh, when we were, that was well before the electronic era. Uh, we call those 12-inch sticks rulers. We still do. We still call um, a 12-inch measurement a ruler. So we have domains of rule, domains over which and within which we represent the accuracy, the test measures of God as the standard. That's what I mean by rule. So God, in, in our spirits, we're connected to God and we have access to the knowledge, the understanding, the wisdom, the counsel of God's character to function within the domains that we rule over. Our souls are the the place, are the 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 component of being through which this rule is effectuated. So our our souls were made to rule, to carry out the rule of God, coming to us through our spirits within the domains of earth, so that we. In what we, in, in, in our five senses, which are the specifics of how we rule. Within these five senses, we, we exercise the rule of God that comes to our souls through our spirits via the Holy Spirit. Now, the scheme of the enemy is to, to work within any vulnerability that there may be found within these five senses. And here is how he works. This is the scheme. Of course, everyone is born as a child. 
And a child doesn't rule over anything. But a child, while still a child, is subject to the experiences that comes to the child's soul via the five senses. The sense of smell, the sense of touch, the sense of taste, sense of sight, sense of hearing. Through these senses, when we're children, we take in all manner of experiences. And the first blush of these things is interpreted to us by our souls. The interpretation of the human mind of these impulses that come to us through our senses produce emotions in us. It's still true that when I smell certain smells, um, I'm thinking of smelling curry, for example. As a small boy growing up, that was something my mother cooked. And smelling curry takes me back to the time and the emotions of a small boy. Um, and I have an anticipation that is not purely determined by my present circumstances, but the memory of something generated by an emotion. So my emotions trigger memories, happy memories in some cases, but it could just as well be that a smell can trigger a very unhappy, very terrifying event. Smell of something burning if you've escaped from a house or confined space that was on fire could trigger panic, even though you're not immediately in panic. A sound, words that were spoken, could trigger the emotions, which in turn trigger the recall of memories. Sometimes you're not able to specifically recall the memory itself, but you can definitely recall the emotion, and the emotion is one that is highly unsettling to you. So your enemy takes complete advantage pardon me, of anything within your memory banks that's triggered by the recall of an emotion. So the enemy does not have access to your mind. Be aware of that. Your enemy does not have access to your mind. He cannot control your thoughts. What he can do is access your thoughts through the likelihood of your response by the recall, by an emotion recalling a thought. In other words, he is extremely practiced in knowing the connections between stimuli in your environment, things that 
remind you, things that have the capacity to trigger an emotion which accesses your memory banks with certain thoughts, which in turn predisposes your actions. So that's the pathway of the enemy's schemes. Something coming back through your five, something in your present environment that causes like a smell, sound, words, a touch, a feeling, that recalls to you something in, for the devil's purposes, very unpleasant, generating an emotion of fear, which takes you back to memories and thoughts that predispose your actions, whether to flight or to defense or to counterattack or whatever. The moment these waves begin to form within your mind, you are in the midst of the enemy's schemes. That's how he works. Your soul makes decisions on the basis of your emotions. It justifies your decisions on the basis of your reason. So when he accesses your emotions, he potentially has accessed your decision-making and can, he can control the choreography of how you begin to form a defense or form a response based upon the recall of an emotion <coughs> triggered through or accessed through your senses. That's what the enemy has. So if you're in your soul, if you're governed by your soul, you're always going to be entrapped in the enemy's schemes. Paul's teachings to us in the book of Ephesians shows us how to overcome the impulses of the soul to be taken captive in this way by the schemes of the enemy through repositioning us away from the control of the soul and under the control of the Holy Spirit through our spirits, because our spirits are perfectly compatible with the Holy Spirit. And when we're going down the hole, when we're going down the, the hole of panic and of being entrapped, when, you're, when you're beginning to feel entrapped, this is the manner in which the armor of God begins to work the portions of the, the specific portions of the armor of God begins to work to aid you in, in this conflict with the devil. That is why we are instructed to take every thought captive. But if you do not understand that the manner in which you take the thought captive is to bring it under the knowledge of Christ, then all you're trying to do is force your soul to take back control of your soul and you're going to lose, I would say, every time. That's why very strong, powerful believers can still be held captive to the schemes of the enemy. So I want to discuss the armor of God in detail later on to continue to equip you 
for the work of your ministry. God bless you. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.